welcome to the Champs App Podcast, where we help players and parents demystify the world of minor hockey development and recruiting for both girls and boys. On this episode, we talk with Finley Frechette, who just recently graduated from Cornell University and played both women's ice hockey and lacrosse at Cornell. We discuss her being a multi-sport athlete growing up, her recruiting process with Cornell, and her decision to forego her final year of eligibility to graduate and take a job with ESPN. I really enjoyed this conversation with Finley, and I hope you do too. Before we get to our guest, if you enjoyed this episode and want us to keep making more of them, please share it with teammates and friends. You can also subscribe, like, follow, and even better, it would be great if you would leave us a review. Now, let's drop the puck and get to the show. I'm very excited to have on the Champs App podcast, recent Cornell University grad and former Big Red dual sport athlete, Finley Frechette. Hailing from Western Massachusetts, Finley played her youth hockey all over the U.S. before attending the St. Paul's Prep School in New Hampshire. From there, she went on to Cornell to study communications with a minor in leadership, while at the same time playing for the women's hockey team, where she won the Ivy League Championship twice and made it to the Frozen Four. And at the same time, she also played on the women's lacrosse team, started her own behind-the-scenes podcast called Over the Goal Line, and still had time for various internships at ESPN, CNN, and Nesson. She recently started her full-time work gig at ESPN as a production assistant, and I really am very excited to welcome to the podcast, Finley. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was quite the introduction. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, uh, as I kind of told you just before we started recording, I the, the reason why I wanted to get you on the podcast is I think you're like the perfect example of what um, you know, girls who are considering going to college to play hockey should, you know, should see what an example is like of, of how they leverage their hockey career to, you know, get into the real world and, uh, and, and have a great success. And, and we'll go into that in great detail. Um, but first off, uh, you know, I do want to get into your hockey history. I do have some unfortunate news that you are not the first dual sport athlete who also played with her sister playing hockey and lacrosse. So Allison Kumi from Penn State um, also had played with her twin sister um, when she yeah. was at, at Niagara, I believe it was. Um, so at, at, at those uh, both times. But you do play two sports with your sister, and we'll get into that. And then why don't we just start off with your hockey history and how you uh, laced them up for the first time when you were three years old and where you were at the time, since I know you traveled quite a bit. Yeah, so as you mentioned, I've kind of lived all over uh, the United States, uh, and I started to skate when I lived in Boston um, way back when. I think I was three years old. Um, I From there, well, I actually kind of started playing with my sister, Gillis. You already introduced that she played uh, at Cornell with me. She's still there. I'm not. But um, <laughs> we would skate around, and she could only really use her left foot to skate, and her right foot she was just using to propel. So our skating instructor would skate behind her with a clipboard and smack her other leg that wasn't working. <laughs> so that's just a funny side note. Um, but I can remember little times that I was skating at a rink that I kind of came to play on a lot in my uh, club hockey career at Assabet. Um, that's where I learned to skate. Uh, but from there, I moved to Chicago, where I played for the Falcons um, and played with my sister there as well. And my dad was a coach. Uh, and from there, we moved to California. And your dad, your, your dad and your mom were both pretty athletic um, yes. in their own right, but in, in when they were younger. They were both very athletic. Um, my dad, we got hockey from my dad. He played hockey and golf in college. And my mom, we got the athletic genes period. She played four different sports. And one of them was lacrosse. But <laughs> very fortunate to have athletic parents to sort of pave the way there for us. Uh, but we played in California for the Junior Kings. Um, and for some girls. How old were you when you played for the Kings? 
for the and you played for the boys team for the junior kings right yes i think i was a squirt i was a squirt when i played for them i only played for them for about a year and a half before we moved uh back to the east coast moved to connecticut i played for mid fairfield the girls there um and also pittsburgh elite so i played um sort of weird schedule would travel on the weekends to play for tournaments and stuff um and then why, why were you traveling around so much i'm assuming your parents were moving quite a bit at least one of your yeah. parents must have been for yeah for work. it was it was parents jobs just kept bringing us all over the place um and it kind of it's really funny honestly even now and i'm way older and still going into hockey rinks and things it shows you how small the hockey world really is because i see people and i played against people that you know, I I skated with on my small travel team, girls team in California, or played with when I lived in Chicago when I was a mite, things like that. It's really fun. Um, a lot of girls that I played with, especially in the ECAC, actually, I grew up skating with in some, in some aspect of the term because I moved around so much. But um, yeah, growing up playing with the boys was amazing. And one of my favorite things I did growing up uh, was when we lived in, in uh, Connecticut, my sister and I played for the high school team we went to for one year, but they didn't have a girls team. So we played boys varsity hockey and it wasn't the highest level. So Phyllis and I were the best players on the team. Basically the only players who could fully skate, you know, we didn't even have a goalie who had ever played before, but it was the most amazing experience ever because the guys really stuck up for us and didn't want the other teams to touch their best players. So that was hilarious. And Gillis and I talk about it all the time. We wish we could go back and play one more game, but hockey's given me some amazing memories and experiences that I I definitely wouldn't change. Cool. So I got a couple of questions for you. So first, Um, what made you such a good hockey player? Was it your, your parents, you know, the genes from your parents, your dad being the coach, uh, your sister pushing you. I don't know where your younger brothers played a role in any of this stuff, but, um, you know, cause you're traveling around a lot and like to get that good without a lot of consistency in kind of your routine is, is pretty challenging. Yeah. That's an interesting question. Um, and to answer the thing about my brothers, my brothers are, how old are they now? I don't know. They're a little bit younger than me, but it's always been us for doing everything together. So I think that was a big reason why I was so successful is that if I was having a, an off day, they were there to pick me up. Um, we trained together ever since I can remember, you know, we would go, we would wake up at legitimately 4.30 on Christmas break every single day, skate and go to workout and be done with everything by 7.30. Um, and it was, it wasn't a chore. It wasn't, upsetting I I didn't care that I didn't get to sleep in like my friends you know I was having so much fun with my with my family it it especially got really fun when I got my license and I was 16 because I'm the oldest so I would drive us all around and we have some crazy memories and now I'm 23 almost 24 and all four of us can drive and we still have those memories and play the same songs and things like that but I think that's a big reason why I was so successful in my career is because I had three people built in to push me, to be my teammate, to cheer me on, to help pick me up when I'm down. Um, And that's something I'm really grateful for and thankful for my parents for allowing us to have those opportunities. But it was something really, really special. And I know all four of us will always cherish it. So, so, um, you know, related to that is, you know, you mentioned at least a half a dozen places that you moved from. Did hockey help you, you know, basically create new social you know, a group of social uh, network, like a friends, every place that you went, like, do you actually think that that helped you, you know, get adjusted to your new locales? Yeah, I think for sure. And also just 
my personality, I think, was really established by moving all those times. So sometimes we would move in the middle of the year and I would just be like, all right. And I just walk on into the classroom and say, hey, guys, I'm Finley. And I, and I don't really know if I would have that confidence now, but I definitely have taken some of those things, you know, going into new, new school and high school and then college and now a new job and all those things. You know, I am confident walking into the room and very friendly and people kind of want to hang out with me because I'm, I've been in situations before when I was the new kid. And so I know how to bring people in and everything. But I do think hockey played a big role in that, especially being a girl walking into a brand new locker room filled with guys. Um, and sort of, you know, gender is gender, but I'm here to play hockey just like you guys and understanding that. And I've, I've definitely brought that mentality into uh, my career so far, which is sort of male dominated right now. Um, and I'm looking to continue to do that in the future. Gotcha. Gotcha. So how did you end up uh, going to St. Paul School in New Hampshire? Um, I'm assuming since you're a multi-sport athlete, the prep school, uh, mm -hmm. you know, three sports that you need to play was obviously pretty appealing to you. But uh, yeah. I'll, I'll let you let you tell us. Yeah, I think something that was really appealing to me about St. Paul's was the fact that it was 100% boarding, um, and I had always been a little bit mature for my age, so I really wanted to, you know, get away and figure out living on my own and all that stuff at a young age, so I went there for four years, and it was a great experience playing all four sports. It was a perfect balance between being away from home, but also not really, because it was only about an hour and 15 minutes from my house, so... I played club hockey on the weekends and I would see my family every game day for all three seasons, field hockey, ice hockey and lacrosse. Um, so it was, that was a great decision for me. And I think it really helped me get to the division one level um, and also just mature as a, as a, you know, young girl and getting to college, I felt like I sort of had the step ahead of people because I had already lived alone or lived without my parents being right, right there. Um, so that was definitely very beneficial for me. Gotcha. And, and when did you decide that you, that hockey was going to be, you know, the, the way that you wanted to get into the school as opposed to lacrosse? Because at first, I believe when you went to Cornell, you, you would you just agree to, to play for the hockey team. Yeah. So that's actually really interesting because I'm talking all about me playing hockey everywhere, but I also played lacrosse everywhere I went for the most part. Um, and so that summer, probably going in, going into freshman year, sophomore year, and sort of all those weekends I was talking about, I was playing hockey. I was also doing lacrosse. I was playing competitive lacrosse. I was going to showcases for lacrosse, all the same things you do for hockey. Um, and I, it finally came down to me making a decision. There were a lot of coaches interested in me for ice hockey, but also for lacrosse. So I had to kind of sit down and be like, what do I really want to do? Um, and I decided hockey, but I don't think I really ever let go of lacrosse. And it was kind of a question I had in my recruiting chats and conversations when I would go to campuses for ice hockey. It was always, have you ever had another athlete? Not an athlete that played two sports. Not saying that I was going to, but kind of in the back of my head, is, is this person open to it? Um, and for the most part, places were. And that didn't really factor at all into my decision um, at all. But... It was kind of great because once I got to Cornell, I was able to, um, you know, join the lacrosse team. And uh, Jenny Grapp, the lacrosse coach at Cornell, um, has recruited a lot of people out of St. Paul's. And she knew about me during all of those tournaments I was mentioning, showcases, all of that. So I was on her radar for a really long time in the recruiting process. So I wasn't just completely fresh. 
Um, so she, but, she had yeah, scouted you already, even. Yeah, she had already known about about yeah. me and my lacrosse ability and everything like that. So. Great. So, so, let, so now that you bring up Cornell, let, let's just talk about your recruiting process. I'm sure you looked at other schools beyond Cornell. So what were the, the if you can share what the schools were that you were looking at, and then what were the kind of the key factors that were, um, that played a role in your decision? And I know playing with your sister, I believe was one of those mm -hmm. factors that, that played a role. Yeah. So um, there were a lot of schools interested in me and interested in Gillis, um, but sort of right off the bat, I knew that I wanted to go Ivy League um, because for girls hockey, I know there's the NWHL and the PWP, whatever, but there isn't really a career after you're done playing D1 that's sort of manageable to continue on and make a living. It's very rare to find someone who can make a living playing this sport after college. So really wanted to get the top education, the highest education I could get while also playing hockey at the top level. So I won't share exactly which schools are interested in me. I'll just stick with the Ivy League and have you all <laughs> think what you will with that. There were I've limited it down to six or five yeah, other ones. So exactly. I got that. Okay. So you, got, you, you, ha you have a general idea. Um, yeah. But I will say that when I got to Cornell, I kind of knew it was, it was amazing from the very start. I had a feeling that, you know, everyone says it, but I had a feeling that I did not get it at the other campuses that I visited at all. Um, it was special. The atmosphere in the locker room was special. Line of rank, the greatest place on earth that I've come to know and love. But in the moment, I was like, this is cool. You had the old barn, the Cornell hockey, all the banners, um, just something really special about the place that stuck to me. And yeah, and I, and I loved it. So um, definitely made the right decision. And um, yeah, it was great. All right, so I'm, I, there's a new question that I, I've, I've learned to ask over the summer, which is, uh, did playing time affect your, and the role that you would play on the team affect your decision? So like, you know, would, would you know, did they say, oh yeah, you're going to play on the power play, the penalty kill, you're going to be, oh. you know, top six forward, and here you go, Finley, you no. like, go have fun, <laughs> or did you go like, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to earn every minute of ice time, and that was okay with you? Yeah, I, I that wasn't too much of, um, that didn't play actually any role in the decision. Honestly, um, I think recruiting has changed so much since I, even I was being recruited, which was kind of a long time ago, but not too long ago, um, in the sense that you kind of have to have way more people. And when I was being recruited, there was, there were no healthy scratches on the team. And now we have to have healthy scratches because that's sort of where the division one level is going and with injuries and just making sure that you have enough recruits. And now this whole COVID situation is going to mess everything up. But um, yeah, when I was being recruited, there was no healthy scratches. There was three, maybe four lines. Um, and it was kind of, you work your way up, you figure it out. And that is what it is. And that's what I kind of loved about how Coach Dara really recruited was that you earn, you earn what you get. Nothing is going to come easy and you have to work. Um, so I definitely learned a lot, um, especially in my first few years two years, first year at Cornell, um, sort of figuring out what my role is. Maybe it's not me on the power play like I was used to in, in high school or being the leading scorer or anything like that. It was a little bit different. It was how was I going to be a leader in the locker room? How was I going to benefit the team if I wasn't the one scoring the goals um, to send us to whatever games, you know? Um, and so that was an adjustment period, but I definitely learned a lot. And um, I wouldn't change it. You know, I didn't play that much freshman year, but I learned so much being in the locker room with incredible leaders, incredible players. I got so much better at, at, uh, at hockey, you know, just practicing with these players, which is what makes me really sad about um, 
my season being cut short and my career being cut short is I didn't really feel like I'd peaked. I felt like I had more to give um, and more to show on the ice and practicing with all these players, you know, legitimate Olympians um, who will be watching shortly compete for their countries. Um, they were my line mates, my teammates, my opponents in three on threes, and I got so much better. And so I really felt like I had more to prove out there and you never got the chance. But that's kind of what I learned at Cornell and what everyone who learns. So if you don't see someone playing freshman year, you best believe they're trying to get out there at some point in their career. So. Gotcha. Okay. So now before we get into, you know, uh, Cornell and what a fabulous uh, place it is for hockey, uh, let's just look back on your uh, youth hockey. And other than playing with your sister on that boys uh, team, what's your other favorite uh, youth hockey memory? Ooh, that's, that's hard. Um, Honestly, probably anything that I got to do with uh, my sister, but I would also say going back to sort of the memory I told earlier about the uh, clipboard and smacking my sister so that she'd skate faster. There, there's a story too, same rank made, I don't know, different year. I don't know where in the timeline it falls, but I was very young and it was learn to skate on one end, but then the other end, the little bit older kids were able to have pucks. And they were playing a mini three-on-three game. You know, that, that was the next level up. And when I finally got my chance to go over to play on that, on that side, I wanted the puck so badly that when I got the puck, I grabbed it with my hand and held it up. And I was trying to find my parents, like, look, I finally got the puck. <laughs> Which is so funny. Because I don't know, that's obviously not the, the point of hockey. But I was just, like, so excited after having watched the older kids get to get to play that it was finally my chance with the puck. So I'm surprised some boy didn't come over and try and knock it out of your hand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I definitely have some more. They're not coming to me, but that's a pretty funny one. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so let's talk about your memories of Cornell. Um, all right, so tell us about just at, at a really basic level, tell, tell us what the campus is like in Ithaca. It's up on a hill. I got to visit it last fall. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, also talk about the uh, some of the facilities of uh, at Cornell University. Yeah, so... Cornell is beautiful. It's gorgeous, as they say. There's, there's gorges everywhere, um, basically built on a gorge, beautiful waterfalls, places to explore. Um, and like you were saying, it's built on a hill. So um, we call it the slope, actually, which is has paths going all different directions. It's beautiful. You have a view out on Cayuga Lake. Um, which is nice when you're just hanging out, sitting for a sunset. But when we're training, we have to run up it and run down it, do lunges up it and down it. We call it slope day, which it can get into a different point, but it is really challenging, really hard. Um, so that's the benefit is that it's beautiful that Cornell's on the slope, but it's also very challenging for training-wise. Um, and then getting into the campus and sort of the athletic campus specifically, um, what I love about it, and I sort of mentioned it earlier in the recruiting process, is how it's not really that flashy. It's kind of the old barn feel, um, no actual seats, has sort of just benches where the fans sit, and the fans don't do a lot of sitting. They do a lot of standing on the benches, so there's no need to upgrade it, but um, the locker room is perfect for what we need, but it's honestly nothing flashy. Um, and that's kind of goes behind what we preach every single day is we don't need all the top equipment to be a top team in the league. Um, and kind of that underdog mentality in that aspect of the game, we don't have in the ground whatevers or 
freeze treadmills. I don't even know what they're calling it now. And maybe one day we will get there, but we got, we got our bike room and we got some Norma techs that we're really excited about, but um, that's what I think is really special. And, you know, we share everything with the guys team. Um, and so we're really close. Most of my best friends um, from Cornell came out of the men's team and we share the same training room and everything like that. Um, and then additionally, something I think is really special that goes off the point that we don't need to have the top of everything is that our, our main gym is attached to where all division one athletes at Cornell, all athletes train in the same gym. Um, and I think that's really special. We do something called drift lifts during the week, where if you have a uh, free time at two 30, you'll go in and lift. And I could be lifting with volleyball girls, soccer girls, football boys, and a wrestler. And it's kind of like, you're all, we're all doing our separate lifts, but we're all in it together. And at the end of the drift, we all come in and we would, we would say, Hey, good luck this weekend. Like I'll be there or whatever. And chant go big red and it kind of really brings the community together and makes the Cornell community which can feel so massive at times really feel a lot smaller and so that's something I really really love about campus as well. Nice 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 and talk about the coaching staff uh the coach Doug uh Doug Dara, Dean Jackson and Edith Racine and I believe they might all actually be Canadian um if you yeah, on that one, they so. are they are all <laughs> Canadian and a lot of girls on the team are Canadian but um, they are great people and I will stay in contact with them for the rest of my time because they're just really special and they really um, gave my four years something more than hockey. Um, they really cared about me beyond, beyond the rink. They wanted me to succeed, um, especially with what I wanted to do as a career. They're really supportive and really loved my podcast and wanted me to continue on my podcast and want anything they could do to help. Um, Coach Jacks. Coach Jackson, I'll give a special shout out. Um, he would meet with me once or twice a week and go over film and his free time of, of me playing. And if it wasn't me, other centers on the team and breaking down, you know, you should do this there, you should do this there, um, or don't do this, whatever it is. Um, and then also Coach Dara, you know, he's, he's a good one. <laughs> and um, he let me play two sports and he was the reason that I got to meet some of my, the greatest people in my life, my teammates, he recruited them. And he does a really good job recruiting character, not just good um, hockey players. You know, we didn't really have much in the locker room drama at all. Um, everyone supported each other and there was no real hierarchy, whether you were um, playing every shift or not. And he also allowed me to play two sports um, and supported me wholeheartedly in that in the fall when I had to miss a hockey practice for lacrosse he would go on the ice early in the morning with me at 6 a.m before classes and skate with me and make up everything I missed um so you know all of them I could go on and on coach Edith is she provides the comedy but she's also down to business so I love I love all three of them and they make a really special team and they work really well together um and again my experiences with them well, some of them have to do with hockey. A lot of them have to do with life lessons and things I'll bring with me when I'm in the real world now. That's actually what I was just going to ask you about next is, is how did they help you grow and develop as a player during your time at Cornell? Yeah. So um, like I was saying, coach would go on the ice with me early in the morning for lacrosse when I had to miss for lacrosse, but he would do that even if I didn't have to miss for lacrosse and I could go on the ice early in the morning during the season and if I didn't play that weekend, um, I could go on and I could text him, hey, can you come on with me this morning? I really want to work on tight turns in the corner or escape, escape moves or 
can we go over this face-off play? Things like that. And he, he lives, breathes hockey, especially Cornell hockey. He loves it. And so it's his favorite thing when he gets that text from a player saying, let's go on the ice early on a freezing cold Ithaca morning in the middle of the winter. He literally loves that. Um, so they, they also would come over to you mid-practice. You know, Coach Jackson, I was mentioning, he went over some a lot of video with me during the season. And if he saw something in practice that sort of resembled one of the plays, he would come up to me and say, hey, this is, remember we were talking about it whenever game at whatever time, that you did this right, or let's try to do the backhand, whatever. And so that was, that was really cool because even if I didn't find myself um, on the ice that weekend for the games, I was still getting so much better. Um, it goes back to my point where I didn't really feel like I'd fully fully peaked and fully given all of my hockey ability to Cornell hockey because I got cut short, but they really did a lot to support my hockey growth as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So we are going to get into the, the sad part of the conversation now, which is, um, so you had phenomenal first two years. You went to the, the frozen four, you won a couple of Ivy league, uh, um, uh, championships and uh, unfortunately you lost your last game to Princeton in 2019-20 in the ECAC finals which uh, Kara Mori yeah. uh, shared on when we when we had her on the podcast and then that was basically your last game so why don't yeah. you just tell us about your last season you were ranked number one overall in the country and then you're basically told uh, sorry we're canceling the rest of the season what what, what was going on through your mind uh, as, as you live through those days of uh, early yeah. part of COVID <laughs> kind of weird to think about because it was such a strange time in all of our lives and no one really knew what was happening at all. I remember saying when we all left, we said, see you in two weeks. And then I still haven't seen most of my Canadian friends because they haven't been able to get over the border and now life happens. Um, so we, that's kind of what we thought was going to happen that we would see each other in two weeks, but the hockey portion, we didn't really know what was going on. And we kind of thought that maybe our season, we, we could get away with our season because we only have, you know, a week and a half left. Um, but then when, as soon as the NBA canceled um, their season, we kind of knew that we were done. Um, and I was heartbroken because, you know, we didn't get to fulfill our goal and all of our lifelong goals, um, which we full, full wholeheartedly believed we were going to do, which is winning a national championship. But I didn't really, I was more heartbroken for our seniors who were done. That was it. And little did I know that that was going to be it for me too. Um, and if I had known that, then I, God, I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> but I mean, I, I didn't know that that was going to be my last um, time putting on a Cornell jersey and playing in front of the fans. I had no idea. And um, I, going back to the game that you were saying, my Princeton was my last game. It was the ECAC finals. We lost, and it was upsetting that we lost, but quite honestly, in the locker room, it was kind of more like, all right, let's go. Like, that's one championship that doesn't mean nearly as much. Let's go win the bigger one. Let's go win the one that we really want. And so that's kind of what the locker room was like. Um, it was like, okay, that happened, but let's bounce back. We have bigger, we have bigger goals. So that's, uh, that's sort of how it ended. Yep. Um, and, and you were supposed to be an assistant captain for the 2021 season, yeah. right? So, yeah, um, so. <laughs> what, what happened for, with that? I know obviously the Ivy League canceled the whole season, but walk us through, you know, what, 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 what you went through. Yeah, so I was elected to be one of the um, captains for the team. And we didn't have a season, but I did still serve as a captain in the best way that I could. 
um, which was sort of preserving the Cornell history, you know, the traditions, the, the teamwork, the camaraderie, and everything that sort of goes behind the scenes that people don't see when we're on the ice, the reasons that make us so successful, which was honestly really difficult because I was trying to deal with the loss of my season and my hockey career, but I was also trying to mentor these girls who didn't have a season this year, but are hopefully going to have three more years or four more if they decide to, um, to live up to the Cornell hockey traditions and everything that I grew up, grew with. Um, so it was really hard and emotional. And me and the other captains had countless meetings saying, you know, you know, us crying, like, what do we do? Like, we're so upset, but, but they still have to go and they still have to skate. But like, it was, it was really hard, honestly. Um, and there were a lot of emotions, <laughs> especially the fall semester. It was really challenging for all of my friends. You know, I couldn't even go and see them in person. So everything was over FaceTime, even though we lived two minute walk from each other. Um, so it, that was hard. And I obviously wish I could have put on the Cornell jersey and put on the A and served my team on the ice like you traditionally see a captain do. And I didn't get to do that, but I will say that I did the best I could in my leadership role, given that we didn't actually get to step on the ice and play. Yeah, yeah. So uh, obviously that's pretty like disappointing and, and almost tragic, uh, you know, how things, what, how the way COVID has impacted your individual career and, and, and life. Um, what was the decision-making process like for you to decide to, to um, complete your fourth academic year at an Ivy League school, which meant basically the end of your hockey career, if, if I'm correct, uh, mm -hmm. and not to uh, either... Uh, take a gap year, which some Ivy League players did, um, or decide to go play somewhere else for another year or two, if, if that was an option? Yeah, so um, I always say my sister and I do everything together, but um, we didn't do this together. She was able to take this past year off, um, so she has two more years at Cornell, so everyone better watch out. <laughs> She's coming back hungry, um, but that, that really wasn't in the cards for me. Um, and I sort of reflected and looked back on my Cornell hockey journey and thought, you know, how could I best serve um, my life, but also the lives of people around me and my teammates and sort of what was my role. And my role was always, you know, might not be the leader on the ice, but I was a silent leader. I was really important in the locker room. Even in a game that I didn't step on the ice, I was important saying things. Everyone listened to me and you know, I was able to still provide that for Cornell hockey, even though you didn't see us on the ice, um, which I'm really grateful for. And I'm really grateful I got that opportunity. Um, but I could have gone and played somewhere else. Um, but honestly, it even, it broke my heart to even picture myself putting on another jersey. I'm just like so passionate about Cornell hockey. I couldn't imagine myself going somewhere else. Um, I felt like my heart wouldn't fully be in it. And so that wasn't really in the cards for me. Um, so there goes two things. And then the final thing is, I think two days after our spring semester started, after years and months and weeks and days of the Ivy League saying we will not accept graduate students to play hockey, they randomly decided to flip the switch and say, you can now play. And so to me and most of my teammates who weren't able to take advantage of that, it was really just salt in the wound because we'd already been starting to come to terms with it as much as we could. And then we had already started our, our classes for the semester and we'd sort of already been thinking about all these stuff. And then all of a sudden they dropped that on us. 
Um, and so I think I tell people if they, if the Ivy League were to have made that decision in the summer or way back when COVID happened, I would have thought probably longer about it, but I think I would have been come to the same decision, not easily, but that's because I wanted to go into a career, which I found my way into now, but of sports media, broadcasting, um, things like that. And there really wasn't a graduate program at Cornell that would even remotely cater to that. So I would have been going, spending more money, going to more school, basically just to play hockey. And I loved hockey, but it goes back to my point that for me, there was no real career or I wasn't really trying to make a career out of it once I graduated. So it would have just been me spending all that money and going through all of that to play hockey. Um, so ultimately, I had to come to the decision. And <laughs> let me tell you, it was not easy. And it still makes me really emotional to think about and talk about. And I'm going to be a wreck when I watch Gillis hit the ice next year and or this coming year, this coming fall, because I wish it was me. But I know that it was the right decision for me. And um, so, yeah. <laughs> all right. So I, I do have a question related to not playing hockey again. So you were drafted by the NWHL, the 21st overall draft pick by the Boston Pride. Is there any chance you lace them up again for, uh, for, in, for the Boston Pride? <laughs> yeah, so I was drafted. That was honestly not too expected. I got a call the day before saying I was going to be drafted. Um, but my answer to all of that was I got to figure out my real kid job right now um, before I can go and play um, play again, play professionally, do any of that. Um, and so I would say it's not completely out of the question, although it's looking like it's more and more out of the question every single day because I have a job in sports and sports happen on the weekends, exactly when games would happen. Um, and it's in the middle of Connecticut. So we'll see. I don't know. Probably it's not really what I'm thinking about right now. I'm sort of trying to get my feet on the ground here at my new job. <laughs> but if at any point in the future, something opens up, I'm, I'm not going to completely cancel it out. But right now it's not looking likely. All right. Okay. Okay. So now then uh, assuming that your, your career is coming to an end, uh, looking back on your, just your playing career, uh, what would you do differently? What would I do differently? That's a hard question. Um, I probably wouldn't be so hard on myself when things didn't go my way, um, because I was very hard on myself and put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, and I think I still would have gone to the same places that I'm at. Um, I always sort of played with the chip on my shoulder, um, which I do think really benefited me because I was counted out a lot of times in my career. Um, but I... I went on to play Division One hockey, and I guess I can say that I finished the finished my hockey career ranked number one. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, no, I I think just like taking a deep breath and sort of just taking it all in. It's really easy. It goes by really really quickly for me, quicker than it should have. Um, but even for people that get their full college experiences, just taking it in, taking those deep breath moments, and being taking some time and saying wow this is really special I made it here um I worked so hard for this and here I am you know giving time to say thank you to yourself and your body for for working so hard for all those years <laughs> you know now that I'm trying to work out like a like a normal civilized person I'm like wow I really pushed my body for my entire time and now I'm trying to relearn how to work out and it's very strange for me because <laughs> I've been going crazy for 
all these years, but yeah, no, yeah, just like what I was saying, just taking it all in because it's really special and it goes by really quick. Yeah, it sure does. So um, the way I discovered you was through something called the Over the Goal Line podcast, which I found about a year ago. Um, and you recorded about 25 episodes while you were um, part of the women's team. And maybe you can just give folks a little bit of a background on why you started the Over the Goal Line podcast. And you didn't do it yourself. You also had somebody helping you, Christopher Morales, who's mm -hmm. your co-producer. So I know yeah. you're going to want to give him credit just as much mm -hmm. as uh, you're going to give it to yourself <laughs> for what you did there. Uh, yeah. But maybe just talk about why you started it and uh, kind of what the intent was. Yeah, so I kind of decided or figured out um, my sophomore fall, freshman spring that I really wanted to do something in the media. Um, I had some family members who had done some stuff in the past, and it sort of was really inspiring for me to watch. Um, and I didn't completely know how to get, my, get started at that, especially at Cornell. They didn't have too much of a program for people who wanted to do that. So as you mentioned in my intro, I was interning at ESPN Ithaca um, just to kind of get my sports and get into the media field and radio. Um, but the coach actually knew that I really wanted to do something like, like a podcast. And Christopher Morales, he um, reached out to my coach and said, is there anyone who'd be willing to host this for me? I have a lot of good ideas, whatever. And so I kind of had similar ideas to what he had. I just didn't know how to completely formulate it. For, so he um, approached coach, coach asked me, and I was like, yes, I'd love to do it. So Chris and I met and immediately had about 15 pages of notes. We were so excited. Um, and so then we kind of just got the ball rolling and it was initially supposed to be a podcast dedicated to giving the fans a behind the scene look at Cornell Hockey, which we did for about six episodes, I'd say. Um, we, I interviewed some of the freshmen who had done really well. Um, some, our star goalie, Lindsey Browning, um, Maddie Mills is on there. And then COVID happened. So I had to decide that I want to continue covering Cornell hockey, even though there wasn't any Cornell hockey and there wasn't any sports in general to cover. Um, and I decided, yes, you know, I had so much time in quarantine. Why not? <laughs> why not just do it and figure it out? And so I was able to expand my coverage to mental health to being an ally. I interviewed um, Sarah Spain from ESPN who actually went to Cornell and was an athlete. Um, and so I did a bunch of stuff like that. I interviewed my siblings and I was able to expand farther than my narrow lens, which I didn't realize at the time, but my narrow lens of just Cornell hockey, just the locker room and sort of give a personality to me and my teammates and Cornell hockey beyond the rank, if you will. Um, so, I did 24 episodes, 24 great episodes, and it taught me so much about um, my own, you know, voice personality, and I was in charge of cutting it and basically producing it myself. Um, Chris Morales did a great job with ideas and with putting it out on the servers, but I was sort of in charge of, you know, making, making it and cutting it with the audio tools, and I kind of had to figure it out because I didn't know, um, but it definitely taught me a lot and it made me even more passionate about doing something like that in the future. Um, so working towards that now, but it was really special and something I'll really cherish.
Yeah, so um, there's a whole bunch of great episodes that you did. Um, I actually, for folks who've been to the Champs app website, I, I ranked my top 10 podcasts for uh, yeah. girls hockey players. And, and, and you came in, obviously, in the top 10 for that. So <laughs> folks can go check the, what, what those are on, on the website. But my favorite episode was with uh, Cassandra Moizanu, if I'm pronouncing her name yes. correctly, who was yeah. part of the band. Maybe just tell folks you know, who she is and, and, and why you chose to interview her. Because yeah. I, I just loved hearing about it because it really was an appreciation of every, you know, the entire Cornell um, yeah. family, so to speak. Yeah, so she is a Cornell hockey super fan. Um, she would come to a lot of our road games. Even if the whole band wasn't coming, she would come and she would bring her instrument and just be playing by herself. Um, and she would always get the crowd going, would come to every single game. Uh, and she was really special. And it just goes to show, you know, Lina Rink was great to play in. And when the band was there, it was even more special, um, you know, the little things they would do before the third period or after a goal or if we needed to pick me up. It was really special. Um, and just knowing how passionate they were about our team. So the fact that I could have her onto my podcast to sort of have her explain that and have me give a shout out to the band was really special because they do so much for us. And it really makes the energy different in Lino when we have the band. I know it's more intimidating for the away teams because most away teams don't have a band and if they do it's nothing like our band yeah. um, so they're really special and definitely make Lina the best place to play hockey yeah actually since, since I've been doing a lot of interviews with uh, coaches from the ECAC it's amazing how almost all of them say like they, they talk about Lina and, and going yeah. into your barn and playing Cornell so it's, it's yep. pretty it's consistently like the number one place that they talk about that they look yeah, forward to go, go exactly. to play. So uh, just, uh, we, I, I want to wrap up because uh, we're, we're starting to run out of time. Got only yeah. about three or four more questions for you. So first okay. of all, you got to interview a couple of very famous uh, Cornell hockey grads. Uh, one of them was uh, kind of one of my childhood uh, idols when I was growing up, Ken Dryden and Joe Neuendijk. Uh, you didn't do that as part of your podcast, but you did that as part of some of the work that you did for Cornell Radio, I believe. Yeah, it was actually for Cornell men's hockey. So it was okay. in lieu of them playing in Madison Square Garden, which they do every year. Um, they obviously weren't playing last year, so they did a virtual event. <clears throat> and they had asked me to host it, um, so I was the host of it. And yes, I interviewed some Cornell hockey legends and just hockey legends in general, which was amazing. One of the coolest things I've ever done, and I got to chat with them before on the phone, just one-on-one. -on -one, and hearing about specifically Ken Dryden's history. I mean, that man has done legitimately everything and having him talk to me and that was crazy. And I got to do it. And there was a lot of people who tuned into that um, and a lot of important people. And I just was really honored to have been asked by Cornell Hockey um, to do that. Um, it kind of shows, you know, as I was going back to the fact that they were really close teams, you know, I know their coaching staff really well as well and they knew I had the podcast and they listened to the podcast and so they wanted me to be the host in the face of their event which was great and showed sort of the bond between the two teams. All right so I, I kind of know the answer to this but I'll, I'll, I'll kind of lead you with this. So how well did Cornell and being a student athlete uh, prepare you for the working world and why don't you tell folks what you're what you're doing now? <laughs> yeah so I'm currently a production assistant at ESPN. I work at the headquarters in Bristol, Connecticut um, I basically started like two weeks ago, so I don't completely have a full grip on it every uh, yet, but I'm working on the MLB, which I'm really excited for. I'm going to be doing a lot of postseason coming up, which will be great. I'm hoping, hoping, fingers crossed, the Red Sox make it, but we'll see about that. Um, but I, I love it so far, and 
I think Cornell prepared me in a non-traditional way for this, as I was saying, and I've said a little bit in this podcast, you know, there is not a broadcasting major. There's no um, Cornell TV, like a lot of my colleagues that I've come to know had. They had a traditional experience where they were trained in front of a camera, trained doing producing, trained cutting reels, all that stuff. And I had none of that. But what I did have was the opportunities at Cornell to go out and pursue these certain things. So, you know, my internship at ESPN Ithaca, um, I was, I went out on my own and I did that. And I got to call some play-by-play lacrosse games for high school. And I had my own podcast. I helped do a little bit of a different podcast. I had my own radio show with my friends. And there were all these different opportunities that, granted, I had to find myself, but I did have the opportunities to go out and pursue them. Um, While still playing two D1 sports at the same time, just folks remember that. I'm a little bit crazy, but, but the thing that I had was I had a passion for um content creation and for sports or news or whatever it was I just kind of loved being in that area um and I am so grateful that I found a job where I get to watch sports for a living um and cut sports for a living and do all that different stuff um I'm super excited that ESPN just signed a new deal with the NHL I was so, gonna bring that up is, yeah, is so that pretty I'm exciting hoping I'll get to do some NHL work um when the MLB season wraps up or even at some point, you know, doing shadowing or anything I can, because I'm very passionate about hockey and know most, most of all the players in the NHL and everything. So, so, so um, I heard that you actually put into that your first interview is going to be with Patrice Bergeron. Is that correct? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I want to meet him so badly. So if Patrice, you're listening. Um, I want to interview you for ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> So I know you're a big fan of the, obviously the Bruins, and then I know he's uh, pretty high up there on the, uh, yeah. the folks you'd like to meet. So, yeah. um, all right. So wrapping this up, what advice would you give uh, about you know t- to girls who are thinking about you know playing uh, Division One hockey? Um, what would you what advice would you give for them in terms of the recruiting process and kind of what it takes to to go Ivy League? Yeah. So I think that some advice I was given going through the process, which translated interestingly with me, but was if you had a career-ending injury, concussion, hip replacement, whatever it is, and you couldn't play your sport at this school, would you still love it? Would you still want to be there? Um, And so I sort of had that mentality in all my visits and everything. And with Cornell, it was, yes, absolutely, I would. And my career-ending injury was COVID-19, shutting down my season, which no one could have predicted at all. But I felt confident in my decision way back when that, if something did happen and if I wasn't able to play the sport, would I still want to be here? And that's a very difficult question to answer when you're going through the recruiting process, but even to just have in your mind, you know, do you really love the school or do you just love the fact that you have, you know, four different training rooms or that you have the brand new rink? Do you love the school beyond all of that? And at Cornell, I really did. um, And that advice came it was very nice that I had that way back when because it came in very, very useful this year when we didn't have a season. Um, so I would sort of say that to anyone going through the recruiting process is picture that. Would you still love it if it wasn't for your sport? Yeah, yeah that's some great, excellent advice. Um, I, I did want to point out that I think your parents just did an amazing job with you and obviously your sister. Uh, I don't know what your brothers are up to. Are your brothers playing hockey as well? My brothers are our big hockey players are going through the recruiting process trying to right now. So we don't know where they'll end up, but 
hopefully somewhere great and I'm sure they will, but, um, yeah, they're kind of entering the thick of recruiting right now. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Well, I know we'll all be uh, paying attention to what your sister Gillis is uh, yeah. doing for the next two years. Yeah. And, and I, I really want to wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much for sharing all of your you. insights yeah. about this, uh, uh, you know, about your career and, and your advice and, and kind of, you know, really a great example for girls who are, who are thinking about going to play college hockey and, and what they can do with it afterwards if they aren't going to play hockey after that. Well, thank you. It means a lot for you to say that I'm a role model because I had a lot of role models growing up and people I looked up to. So to hear you say that I'm one for the younger generation, it means a lot. I really want to thank Finley for joining me on the podcast. As I mentioned, she's a great example of what a college hockey player can get out of their program and leverage it for what they want to do after they graduate. And remember, if you got something out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you'd like, follow, subscribe, and even better if you could leave us a review so we can keep sharing this important hockey information with folks just like you.